change. Good morning. Let's try this. Let's do this. We don't do this. Good morning. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. Uh, Do me a favor. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. It's kind of near the middle-esque portion of your Bible, but Nehemiah chapter 6. We will be there today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us. Uh, We love to teach through books of the Bible here. Uh, We love to go through God's Word. We believe this is God's revelation to man, and this is how God speaks to us. So we go through books of the Bible. So Revelation, or Revelation, Nehemiah chapter 6. That would just first come to mind for a second for some strange reason. Nehemiah 6. A couple of things I want to point out to you guys really quick. Today is Sunday fun day. Uh, What that means is a few times a year, we just try to have some fun after service. So from 1 to 3 o'clock, we are going to go bowling today. Um, Do we have any bowlers in the room? Just curious. No? Okay, that's what I thought. All right. Um, There's like one person who's like, I brought my shoes. Um, We're glad you're here. Uh, We're going bowling from 1 to 3 o'clock in Coconut Creek at the Wow Factory Bowling Lanes. Um, I believe we do have about 10 spaces-ish left. If you'd like to go, please go. You can sign up online or just hopefully show up and we'll get you a spot. Uh, But we're doing that today. Also, I do want to say this. I am so thankful for this. Uh, Last week, we had Compassion Sunday uh, going through Nehemiah 5 and talking about injustices, talking about how essentially there was oppression and there was child slavery and there were some terrible things happening. And so as we were able to highlight compassion, and we were hoping to sponsor 25 kids, but let me just say this, we had 16 kids get sponsored, and I'm so thankful for that. So thank you guys so much. That is awesome. And um, we even have the packets in the back still. So there are nine more packets in the back if you'd like to sponsor a kid. Um, again, th- that packet you pick up is for that specific kid. The picture you see is the kid you will have. So you can write letters to them. They'll write letters to you. Um, like I've, I've mentioned, my wife and I have been able to have the same kid for almost like nine years now. Um, it's incredible. So please, if you can or like to be part of that, we'd love for you to be part of Compassion. So that will be out in the back this week and even next week. Um, we just want to make sure those nine kids get picked up. All right, Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, in case you've missed a week or two or you're new, let me catch up to speed. We're calling this series Holy Ambition, When a Good Desire Meets a Greater God. And my hope is as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we see a guy who took a big risk for God. He left, in a sense, the palace. He left his position. He left his comfort to step out in faith and rebuild a broken down city, his home city of Jerusalem. Um, My hope in this is that God would make us a people that want to take risks for God, that want to take steps of faith, it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to kind of get lullaby to sleep as Christians. And I think sometimes there's, there's times in our life where the Lord's trying to prod us and say, take risks, build, build my kingdom, uh, be a part of something bigger than yourself, be part of something bigger than what you could accomplish. And so the hope with holy ambition is kind of recognizing ambition or selfish ambition has been used for many destructive things in the past. Uh, selfish ambi- ambition has lot, led to a lot of just pain or murder or suffering, just some terrible things but holy ambition, an ambition when your desire meets God's desire. And you say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to join you in the work of restoration. God does something beautiful through that. And so my hope again, and please church, like let's not miss this, is that we'd be an ambitious church for God, 
that we would take risks, that we would do things that as the Lord leads and as the Spirit leads, that might almost seem unorthodox, um, but it'd be something that we could just do, be part of our DNA. And so specifically, here, here's where we're at in Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah 6, so let me catch you to speed. Nehemiah left the palace. He has the king's provisions, the king's army. He goes, he starts rebuilding the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, starts rebuilding the gates. As he's building, there's, there's some really outside persecution happening, people mocking him, taunting him. You're not going to build it. The walls are going to fall apart. So they're building in one hand, and they have a weapon in the other hand, and they're very proactive about God's work. That's chapter 4. In chapter 5 last week, there's not just outside persecution, but there's just inside, inside the community, inside with his fellow Jews, there's this injustices happening. There's uh, wealthy Jews charging these poor Jews at a higher tax rate. They're making money off them. They're selling their kids into slavery. There's a lot of injustice. So Nehemiah calls them to repentance. And now here that brings us to chapter six, where there's just more persecution and more taunting. And there's a character assassination on Nehemiah. And they're trying everything they can to get the walls in the city to not be rebuilt. And in Nehemiah six, We'll see that the city is rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt. In Nehemiah 7, you see people now coming back to the city. And, and here's why we're, I want to talk about this, and here's kind of how we're going to look at this today. Um, Nehemiah, I believe, had a focus and perseverance like no other. Here's what we need to talk about as a church. We need focus. I need to focus. Maybe you do too. We need to get better at focusing, at persevering. I'm praying that just through this time, honestly, God makes us a people that focuses on what really matters in life, that we kind of hone in. I don't know if you're kind of in a place where you're in a spiritual state where you're like, I need to persevere right now. I'm in a very pivotal point in my faith where I could kind of just cave in. I could just call it quits. I could throw in the towel. I could text this person back and open up a door I shouldn't be opening. And I think the Lord is saying, let's persevere and let's focus and let's push in. In any great work, there's going to need to be perseverance. There's going to be those moments you're climbing uphill. And as you climb uphill, you're going to go, I think we can't go any further. You're going to have to push past that. It's like when you're running and running long distance, you're like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Your body's telling you that. But then you're like, let me push past that. And you get past that point and you keep going. I've heard about it. I've never done it before. But I've heard great things about that. But it's one of those things where you go, we, we got to keep pushing through. So I, I do want to talk about just perseverance and focus. And I really do pray that we'd be a people that focuses on God, on his kingdom, on Jesus, on what really matters in life. Amen? So we're going to read Nehemiah 6, and we're going to read in a little bit in chapter 7. We can do that. Um, and we're not going to read all of chapter 7, because if you turn the page, uh, it's 73 verses, and it's a lot of names again. Um, so that will be your homework for this week, just like chapter 3. You can read Nehemiah 7, uh, the, ver- the names, and I'll kind of, our last point, I'm going to give you a summary of chapter 7 and, w- and why it's significant, why it's in the Bible. All right? So let's read Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1, and then um, we'll pray. Nehemiah 6, verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies feared or heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, and it was written in this letter, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, uh, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be king. And you've also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. 
Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. Verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid saying, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, here's a little Nehemiah prayer again. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of great names, who was a secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and, and who is there as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent them at all, but that he actually pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. For this reason, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have a cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, here's another prayer, remember Tobiah and Samballot according to their works and to the prophets of Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Verse 15, so listen to this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. Say 52 days. 52 days. It's done. And it happened. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For listen, they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and the son of Jehoranan, uh, and married the daughter of Meshullam. Sorry, it's just too fun for me to not, yeah. Uh, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Verse one of chapter seven. Then it happened when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, all right, then the, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother, Hananiah, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. A great verse. We talked about the fear of God last week. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and white, uh, and while they understand guard, while, while they stand guard, let them shut the bar, shut and bar the doors, and appoint guards for among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Verse four. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And then you're going to read the genealogies. That's homework. Um, let's pray. Because if we talk about focus, I want to know how many of you just zoned out. That was, that was tough. A lot of verses. Let's pray, and we'll give this time to the Lord. Father, I just thank you for um, examples like Nehemiah and so many others. God, so many others in this time period, whether Ezra or before them, Esther. Just people who are focused about your work, who persevered through persecution. God, who just maybe had the thought across their mind of throwing in the towel. But Lord, we just thank you for their perseverance. And God, we just ask for ourselves that there'd be a sense of endurance today, that we'd run and not grow weary, we'd walk and not faint. God, give us just a heart to focus on what really matters, a heart to persevere. And uh, Jesus, we just ask that you'd be blessed by this time, that we glorify you in your wonderful name. Amen.
Growing up, um, just as a young boy, you could say I struggled with focus or focusing. You're like, no way, just <laughs> not you. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. Um, but there were various times I remember just sitting in class and like watching the clock move and like I swear just go backwards sometimes. Like, ah! Like, you know, and just, just all these distractions, like a fly would go by, people would walk by. It's just sometimes it's hard to focus. Uh, even honestly, in preparation for the sermon, I'm, I'm just sitting at my office in Starbucks and looking around, and just people walking by, and I'm hearing conversations, and I'm like, I can't believe she just said that to him. That is awful. And like, I'm like, I got to focus, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to kind of focus and persevere. I think now more than ever, we have these little gadgets we take with us everywhere that just constantly alert us. I have some notifications turned on that like, I need to turn off. I'm like, why does this keep notifying me? And every time it does, it just stresses me out. I'm like, what am I doing? But we have just constant distractions. And, and even now, I mean, even during worship, it's easy to go, do you hear that sound? I think you hear this sound. Do you like these vaulted ceilings? I like the vault. Where are the balloons? I thought balloons were here last week. Like, it's easy for us to kind of just look around and get so distracted. And I really do believe it's just necessary, just necessary for leadership. It's necessary for us as followers of Jesus to focus on what really matters, to persevere, to say, I want to press in. I don't want to get sidetracked. When people come, up, come along and say, come with me or look at this, like, how do I just focus, God, on what matters? How do I persevere and press in? And see, Nehemiah had this intense focus on restoration. And there's something really beautiful about this. When they're bugging him over and over and over again, and he's going to know, I have a great work. So I want to talk about focus and perseverance. The wall was built in 52 days. And it's funny because a lot of times it's easy, and we'll talk about this towards the end, but it's easy to think Nehemiah is only about the rebuilding of the walls. It's easy to think it's only about rebuilding the walls and the gates, but there's so much more. Like the second half of the book, we kind of forget. And so this is such a necessary portion of Scripture. So let's kind of walk through our text today, all right? As we talk about focus and perseverance, here's what the text tells us. Here's what the text shows us. Four thoughts on focus. Uh, Here's what we see. Focus on what matters most. We're going to see focus on truth, not circumstances. We're going to see number three, focus for the glory of God. And chapter seven shows us focus, focus because it's not over. All right, just one more time. Uh, Focus on what matters most. Focus on truth, not circumstances. Focus for the glory of God. Focus because it's not over. Because even when we think it's over, it's not really over and we still need to focus. So let's walk through this. Can we, can we do this again? Number one, focus on what matters most. Look at verse one and two. Uh, it says, Now it happened when Sambalit, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. I love how specific he is. Uh, that Sambalit and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. All right, first point, uh, if your enemies say, hey, let's meet in the plain of Ono, it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> it's like, hey, come, let's meet in the valley of I'm going to kill you. Like, oh, great idea. Um, like, let's meet in the plains of Ono. And so the first thing, though, we, we just see them coming at him to distract him. I want, I want you to see this. In verse 2, it says, they thought to do me harm. Nehemiah had great discernment. You know, I think any leader, just even as us as followers of Jesus, we need great discernment as we lead others, as we press in, he had great discernment. What is their true intentions? What are they getting at? Um, here's the idea. Not everyone who wants to meet with you has the best intentions. Not everyone wants to spend time with you has the best intentions. Can I just talk to like the young ladies of our church for a moment? Not every guy that meets you or that you meet has the best intentions. But I'm at church, especially at church, sadly, at times, he does not have the best intentions. There's something about going, I need to understand what's really happening here. I might see the surface, but what's really behind this? And so Nehemiah knows they thought to do me harm. And, and there's a side of this where we need to know our enemy. We need to know that our enemy is crafty. 
We know that he's wise, he's deceitful, he's described as a serpent, just like he comes alongside and in a sense is very flattering, but he's there to, you know, to kind of twist words, twist truth. And there's a side of this, we've got to see the intent behind this. So verse 3 is so key. When I say focus on what matters most, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says what? So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I love this response of Nehemiah. Focus on what matters most. This is what he's doing. He's like, why would I go down? He sends messengers. He doesn't have the time to go to himself. He sends the messengers, and he's like, I'm doing something great. Why would I stop doing something great to meet with you? Now, I don't think this is him being prideful. I think this is him. Sometimes people can be passive-aggressive, like in life. You're like, can we meet? And it's like, uh, they, I, w- I want to meet, but they just won't let me meet. And he's like, no, I, I can't meet. We're doing something great right now. So let's just talk about this. Let's talk about priorities. Nehemiah has great priorities. I know some of us don't like talking about priorities. Uh, we don't want to address the priorities in our life. It's a simple truth, but I know you guys know this. You make time for what's a priority. Can we just write that down or say that? Or remember, You make time for what's a priority. It's very difficult to hear someone say, this really matters to me, but I don't have time for it. No, if it matters to you, you'll make it a priority. There's a side of it where my family's important to me, obviously, so I'll make time for it. But we can say that with our words, but then we can still be busy about a million different things. And we go, is it really important? You can say, you know, church is so important to me, but do you make time for it? Community is so important in groups and doing life with people is so important. Do you make time for it? Serving is so important, but I just don't have time. And you hear this excuse of time, but the idea is simple and it's true. You make time for what's a priority. I do think there's times in my life I need to like step back and look and go, um, I say this is a priority, but it's not taking place in my life. God, I say you're the number one priority, but you're like sadly number seven on my list. There are times we need to address this. You know, I found this in one of, our Bi- in one of the Bibles, and don't feel um, too mocked if this was yours. Well, there's a picture I'll throw up here for you, and this is real. Do you have the picture of the uh, priorities? So I saw this one of the Bibles. God, underlined, great. School, huh? Family, <laughs> number four, friends. I don't know why I saw this. I just had the best little laugh to myself, but really close. God, school. I don't, I don't know if that's like a teacher who made you feel really guilty, like, hey, after God's school. Like, that's family, man, number three. <laughs> like, I, I just thought this was great. Sorry, this is so funny to me. Um, I, we can do this. All right, you can take that down. That's my Bible. I'm kidding. Uh, but this is one of those things where you look at and you go, man, God, I really do. My personal walk with you is, is just of prime importance. Just me walking with you. My individual walk, I'll stand before you and you will own one day. It's only me and you in that sense. Next is family. First, you could say if you're married, it's my husband, my wife. They need to feel that prime importance. My kids need to feel that next. They know that they are prime importance. And then honestly for us, it's ministry. God's serving you. Like walking with, do, doing your work. You know, First Timothy talks about the idea, if I can't take care of my family, how can we take care of the church? So it is my walk with the Lord. It is family. It is ministry. And I don't know, school is way down there to be honest. It's number two on that list, but somewhere down there. The idea for us is, again, you make time for what's important. I would love for us to be people that just better prioritize our, our, our life. Nehemiah goes, I could meet with you. I could do community relations. I could develop this more, but I'm doing something great. I'm doing a great work. So kind of one way I wrote it down was, and I want you to kind of see it this way. If I do that, fill in the blank, then I can't do this. So if I do that, I don't know if that's up there. If I do that, fill in the blank, then I can't do this. So what would that be for you? 
Someone's like, I want you to do this. But like, well, if I do that, then I can't do it really matters to me. You know, it's weird. This last year, I've had some opportunities, some good opportunities. I've had some people reach out and say, hey, we want to have you be a part of this mission trip or go here and we'll pay for it. Like, good opportunities. But to be honest, it's like, you know what? We just had a baby, four months old, almost five months old now. I need to say no to something good for something that's better, that's more important right now. I'm just saying that it's not even just negative things. It's, we, there's good things in our life that'll try to take place and take priority. And we have to get really good at this. So Nehemiah says something that I think is so key. If you look at verse three again, the first phrase is, I'm doing a great work. And here's what he's doing. If simply put, he's putting rocks together and he's hanging in some gates. But it's way more than that. And I think we know that. You know, I know it's, it's easy to kind of look at what Nehemiah is doing and kind of downplay it. Like, dude, you're just building a wall and hanging gates. But it's so much more than that. So here's why I'm saying it this way. Um, do you see your work, your job as great work? Do you see what you do as something great and important? We can look at Nehemiah and goes, I'm just building a wall, man. Like, that's not that big of a deal. But it is so much more than a wall. Ultimately, he's trying to bring restoration. Ulti- ultimately, the wall, can, in a sense, brings a healthy economy. It brings healthy families and lives. It changes everything. And he needs to see the big picture of that. Like, I'm saying this because you might look at your life and go, I'm a, I'm a barber. I'm a salesman. I'm a school teacher. I do these. Like, this is my, I'm doing this. But if we can see it as a great work, if we can see it with just eternity in mind, like, I would love for us, like, I know it's easy to kind of, even, even if you're just serving coffee, whatever it is you're doing, it's easy to kind of say, I'm not doing anything great, but it's like your perspective of it and the people you're meeting and the conversations you're having, if you have this, like, eternal perspective in mind, you can say, I'm doing a great work. If you can really look at it and say, this really and truly is a great work. You see, I think, like, a part of, of what we do of just sort of coming together and seeking Jesus and studying his word, a part of this time, I feel like God's always trying to ask like this question to us and like, what are you doing with your life? And are you really investing in things that matter? Even if you're just, if you feel like your job is just kind of tedious, are you making it important? Are you making it about something bigger? You know, I think that we can be the generation that has like the FOMO generation or the fear of missing out. You know, I think we can be the generation that's afraid of commitment. And there's this, I think there's a side where God's saying, listen, it's going to be tedious, it's going to be long, but in the long run, there'll be maturity and growth. We kind of got to start, we got to stop gravitating towards what's new and exciting, and we go from one thing to the next, and one job to the next, and one whatever to the next. And there's side, it's like, plant your roots, dig down deep. It will take time. It'll take a lot of time. It could be your marriage, it could be your job, it could be your church, but sometimes we just want to move on. And we need to really just slowly like build and plant. And there's a side of this that you got, it's a great work. It's going to take time. And it's going to take people and energy and effort. But we're doing something great. This is a great work. Guys, do you understand that making disciples is the greatest work in the world? Do we understand that telling people about Jesus, heralding, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus is the greatest work we could be a part of? I mean, even as you do your normal job, you can still obviously make disciples while you do that. My hope is that we not just see this as like, this is just kind of what we do, but this is a great work. But this is a beautiful work, amen? Can we see it that way? Nehemiah is putting rocks together. He's like, sorry, I can't have a meeting with these governors and leaders. I'm putting some rocks together. No, like he gets it's a great work. He understands what it is. So he goes, it is a great work. Uh, and here's what happens next. Verse four, can we just keep reading on? Verse four, it says, so, or but, they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Four times. Um, one way of looking at this is distractions are persistent. 
I don't know if you've experienced this. Uh, sometimes it's the third text message you get. You go, okay, now I'll respond and meet up with this person. Maybe it's the fourth. Sadly, I, th- I think some of us, after four times, we go, I've just given at that point. Four times the same message, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet. In the plane of Ono, let's meet, let's meet. Four times. And I just, I love his resistance to this. And, and here's the truth we, wa- we walk away with. Um, make decisions based off conviction and not guilt. Make uh, decisions based off conviction and not guilt. So there can be times where you think, oh, I should just meet with him. We just kind of settle this, it'll be good, I need, I need to do this. If I just met with him, it'd help. And maybe we can build a relationship somehow. But he's like, I have a deep conviction. I came here from Susa, from the palace, to rebuild this city. I cannot stop for a meeting. And I, I think that you and I need to practice the spiritual discipline at times of saying no. All right, maybe some of you hear this. Um, there's a spiritual discipline of saying no. It's okay to say no. I think for me, I don't know, maybe there's a side of it where you can be a people pleaser and you go, um, I can't say no because maybe you, you want to be a people pleaser. And there's times God saying no, prioritize. There's times God saying no, no. Is the first thing being met? Your walk with me. Is your family's needs being met? Are you serving the church? Are you doing ministry? Are you, are you going, like everything else, those other sub things, those, part, those other things, like that can come next. But it's okay to say no for something greater. Listen, Nehemiah was a man who worked off conviction, not guilt. And it's very easy to let people kind of guilt you into doing things four times. And I've seen this with a lot of young people where it is the second or third text. It's the guy pursuing nonstop. And you're like, you know what, whatever. He's, no one else is pursuing me. Maybe I'll just give in. And I'll say, resist. Resist. Stay focused on what the Lord has called you to do. And this applies to us in so many different ways. So four times. Now here's the fifth time. What happens the fifth time? Verse five. Uh, then Simbalat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And here's what the letter said. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah. Now, these matters will be reported to the king, to King Artaxerxes. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, strength, O God, strengthen my hands." I want you to see that this is the fifth time he sends a messenger. This messenger sends an open letter. Here's why that open letter phrase matters. Um, You do not send letters open. You would not do that to officials. You do that for only one reason. That's to kind of make a mockery of them. Uh, Most letters would be sent with a a signet or seal on the letter that could only be opened upon the person it was addressed to or there'd be punishment. The idea of an open letter is I want all to see this and I want to mock you openly before all. And if you notice this, this doesn't sound super like off-based. It sounds very possible. Sounds very possible. Here's this guy rebuilding the city and saying, hey, I'm the king and there's prophets going out. It sounds very possible. Actually, if you read the book of Ezra, this was the same tactic they used with Ezra. When Ezra goes back 12 years earlier and there's a spiritual revival happening, you see them send the letter to King Artaxerxes and say, King Artaxerxes, Ezra's trying to rise up and take your place and he stopped the work of God there. So this is the same king. This is 12 years later. Same tactic. Nehemiah simply just has a phrase, mm, this is wrong. And you invent this up in your heart. Heart. Like he's really straight and forward and to the point. He gets what they're trying to do. Guys, when you're trying to do a great work of God, there will be rumors. There will be things said about you or just even at your life. or your, Just when you follow Jesus in your work life, there are people that spread little things about you. 
Like you believe in that Jesus thing? There's always going to be little things shared about you, your character, your motives. They're questioning Nehemiah's motives. Nehemiah gave up a lot of wealth, success for this role, and they're still questioning his motives in this. Just know that when you serve God in any capacity, big capacity, small capacity, when you serve God, there's going to be people who try to kind of thwart that through character assassination, through lies. Nehemiah is very quick to answer. You know, I love what one one pastor said about this. His name is Warren Wearsby. Here's what he said about this thought. He says, the average person doesn't realize the tremendous pressure and testings that people experience day after day in places of leadership. Leaders are often blamed for things they didn't do and criticized for things they tried to do. They are misquoted and misunderstood and rarely given the opportunity to set the record straight. If they act quickly, they are reckless. If they bide their time, they are cowardly and unconcerned. Basically, this is just going to come with the job. This is going to come with the territory. I think it's like uh, Eisenhower just said, like, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen, that idea. It's just going to come with it. This is going to be part of the job. This is going to be part of the role. And notice the tactic. The tactic is very, it's, it sounds so believable. You know, and it's so, it's so subtle how he goes about it. Uh, there's a quote I found this week that's a little bizarre but kind of fitting. Um, this is what Hitler said about just really his attack on you could say the Jews, he said, mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, panic, these are our weapons. The idea of let's maybe just do character assassination, let's cause some confusion, some panic, let's spread some rumors, and, and this will be our attempt to kind of thwart the plans. And again, Nehemiah stayed so focused. He, answer, he does not engage in this long, ongoing conversation. He does not stay quiet. I think that's very important. He does not just say nothing. He speaks up and says, no, this is not true. You invented it in your heart. And then he just prays. And can we just be reminded of prayer? You know, when we talk about Nehemiah prayers, do you notice how many words this is? Look at verse 9. Oh God, strengthen my hands. It's a Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah prayers. Sometimes we just need more Nehemiah prayers. God, help. Strengthen. Strengthen my hands. And this is just this prayer of God, I need you in the midst. Help me focus in the midst of this. It would have been so easy to engage in this ongoing conversation that would have had no profit, no point to it. Listen again, guys. Focus on what matters most. Focus on what matters most. There's going to be constant ways to get us sidetracked or get us focused on secondary issues. And he's like, God, just remind me. Strengthen, strengthen me. Help me. Remind me of what matters. It's just a simple prayer. It's through resistance we are strengthened. And this is what's happening in Nehemiah. We've got to remember it's through, when you work out, it's through the resistance. It's through whatever it might be that the muscles torn and strengthened. Whatever it is, but it's through resistance, strengthening happens. And this is what's happening in Nehemiah. I think in this, he's only a better leader. It's only growing him. It's only helping him. Now, here's the next tactic. All right, so this was, come pl- meet us in the plain of Ono. Now, here's a prophet that they hired for money to try to get him to be sidetracked. All right, so we'll look at verse 10. Point number two is this again. Remember, focus on truth, not circumstances. Focus on truth, not circumstances. Why do I say that? Look at verse 10. It says, afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was a secret informer, and he said, let us meet together, listen, in the house of God, that's the temple, within the temple, within like the close quarters, the holy place, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin. 
so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sembalat according to these uh, their works and the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Focus on truth and not circumstances. Here's why I say that. A prophet, he's most likely a Levite. He's most likely a priest. We're not really told, but he has some sort of spiritual authority. He goes to Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. You can go to the temple. I'll keep you safe. Nehemiah, again, has great discernment and goes, uh, is this a trap? What is this? Here, here's the idea. Over and over again in the Bible, we're told that non-Levites, non-priests, could not go into the holy place, could not, go into the holy, could not just enter into the temple in that way. They couldn't go in. Nehemiah knows the word. Here's, I mean, we'll throw a few verses up here just so you can kind of see it, but non-priests enter the temple, which will, which will result in death. I mean, this is just repeated over and over again. I don't know if you can see the verses up there, but it's repeated over and over again. Non-priests that go in, it's, you're going to end up dying. So here's what I'm trying to point out. Nehemiah knew the word. Nehemiah knew, even though there's a spiritual authority speaking to me, I can hold it to the word of God and it's contradicting the word of God. Here's what I would say. Always hold everything to the word of God. Myself included. Honestly, I want you guys to take what I say, anything, anything you ever hear on the radio, TV, anywhere, but I want you to take it and just hold it to the word of God. Say, so what does God's word say about this? Have good hermeneutics. Have good, uh, a good understanding of how to interpret scripture. Compare it to other scripture. Seek other voices on this, on the topics. But Nehemiah, he so knows the word. And again, I'm thankful that there's a leader here who knows the word. He's not a priest. He was a cupbearer. He was an average Joe who knew the word. Side thought for me growing up, honestly, I've known some awesome men and women who love Jesus and know the word, some incredible people. For me growing up, my dad probably knew the word better than anyone I knew. He knew the word, UPS driver. My point is, Nehemiah is not necessarily in quote-unquote ministry, but he knew the word. Listen, you can know the word. Hold it to scripture. Nehemiah says, this is what circumstances are telling me, the spiritual authority, but here's what truth is telling me. Do we see what's happening? Here's what circumstances are telling me right now, but here's what the truth of God's word says. Let's apply this really quick. You might feel like right now your circumstances are telling you you are not loved, no one sees you, no one cares. But the truth of God's word says, I know you, I see you, I formed you in the womb, you're mine. I care. You might feel like circumstances saying, if I do this, little compromise, whatever, it's not a big deal. And God says, no, it will lead to more and more compromise. I'm saying we can look at our circumstances and we can look at truth. And I want to encourage you guys, always hold up your circumstances to truth. It is difficult to do this. It's difficult to not get emotional in the moment and jump to conclusions. But I'd say do your best to step back. And Nehemiah's life is threatened. And he goes, hold on. And he says it in verse 11. He goes, a man like me cannot enter the temple. I can't do that. The Bible says I can't do that. And so he knows that he can hold God's truth to his circumstance. Listen, in what area of your life do you need to start holding up truth to the circumstance that, that life is thrown at you, that life is telling you? Please, I beg you to know the word, to be in the word, so you can hold up your circumstance to the truth of God's word. Amen? Uh, one question I want to, I wanna, or one thing I want to point out is in the face of temptation, he chooses again his conviction over convenience. All right, don't miss this one. Last thought on this part. He chooses his conviction over convenience. Convenience is, let's go to the temple. Convenience is, I want to stay alive and finish this. Convenience is his self-preservation, but he chooses conviction again, the conviction of the word of God. And guys, this is, this is everything. There will be moment after moment in my life and in your life. You can either choose the conviction or you can just choose what's convenient. And I'll say this, 
it wasn't very easy. It wasn't very convenient, but God honored it. God honored Nehemiah and his work, and it's incredible. So here's the thought number two again. Focus on truth, not circumstances. Amen? Focus on truth, not circumstances. Here was their goal. Let us make him afraid so the work stops. That is their goal. He, he calls it out in verse 12 and 13. Your goal is to make me afraid and to make me stop. And here's the same goal of the enemy. How can we get the church to be afraid and stop taking risks for God? And there's a side of this where we, we need to remind ourselves, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. There's a side of this, we need to hear the same thing. The enemy's goal is saying, I want to make them afraid so they just stop. How can I make them afraid? There's not enough people, there's not enough money, there's not enough of this. How can we make them afraid so the work just stops? And he's like, no, no, God did not give me that spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Focus on truth, not circumstances. Number three is this, focus on the glory of God. Focus on the glory of God. Look at verse 15, we'll read through this. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in, the, in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their, in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many leaders, uh, letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them for many in Judah were pledged to him because he was uh, the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehonanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me, which we'll still talk about that last phrase. But here's what I want you to point out. They perceived the, work, the wall's done. All right, let's just, Nehemiah, wall's done. Can I just point this out, by the way? The wall is done, but there's still more Nehemiah. <laughs> there's still a lot more to do, which we'll, we'll get to that point in a little bit, but there's still a lot more to do, even though the wall is done. But I want you to see that when the wall is done, the people go, this must have been a work of God. There's no way man could have done this. This must have been a work of God. I would love for people to look at your, li- your life personally and be like, who you are or who you were and who you are, this must have been a work of God. What God has done in you, even if you grew up in the church and go, man, your, your patience under persecution, your self-control in the midst of just suffering, that I want people to say who you are, it must be a work of God. And even just our church, for people to go, man, for God to do it, it must have been a work of God. That no one else can get the glory. Nehemiah was so focused on the job that it would bring God glory. They're not going, Nehemiah did this. That's not what his enemy said. They're saying God must have done this. This must bring God glory. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says this, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Please hear that. We glory in sufferings. Nehemiah suffered a lot because we know that suffering is going to produce perseverance. So the idea is Nehemiah persevered. He persevered through suffering and God gets the glory. There's glory in suffering. There's glory in what you and I have gone through for Jesus. And here's what, again, I want to just point out. This could have been the downfall of Nehemiah. And please hear this. If the people said it's, man, Nehemiah did this. If Nehemiah said, and I, and I did it, it's me. This could have been his downfall. Another way of saying it is, um, it's not your failures that, that will lead you to your downfall, but your successes. It could have been the success that led to his downfall. He did the wall. He did this great work of God. He's the governor of the people now. He's being used, and that could have been led to his downfall. And yet, luckily, he realizes, and the people realize, it's God who gets the glory. It's not in the failure. It could have been in the success. He don't, but it's still, even then, he gave glory to the right person, and that's God. Listen, we focus, and we try to do great things, in a sense, so God gets the glory. You know, we try to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We try to do our works before men that they glorify our Father in heaven. Not us. I mean, this is what it's always based around. How can God get the glory through this? 
So he focuses on the glory. And lastly, I just want to end with this thought, because it's really interesting to me. Look at, look at the end of verse 19. It says, and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. <laughs> it's not over. They built the city walls. They hung the gates in chapter 7, verse 1. Like, it's done. And he's still sending letters to say it's not done. And that's the fourth point is focus. Listen, focus because it's not over. See, again, it's funny. Some of us now, you're like, what, what is Nehemiah 7 through like 13? I don't even know the end of Nehemiah because all I know is that he builds the wall. And the, like, I don't even know how it ends. And like, we need to see that now after the wall and the gates are built, there's spiritual like revival happening. And chapter 8 is people weeping and crying and praising God. There's spiritual revival. Things are in order. Things are in place. So now God pours out his spirit. It's like he creates this like framework. He creates health. So now that people's hearts are ready to receive the word of God. And this is going to be so beautiful for us to get into chapter 8 and moving on. People are ready now to experience God. And, and here's why I'm saying this. Focus because it's not over. We've got to understand it's not about the walls. It's about the people. Chapter 7 is this. Get people in the city. There's no one there. Like, there's a few families. There's a few people. But we need to get people in the city. He's kind of quoting from Ezra again. But there's some new families. And, and the idea is like we need to get people. Again, what's a city without people? What is a city without people? We need people. The focus is on people and their health and their renewal. It's not just about us building things, but building into families and building into people. For us, we want to do things. We would love as a church to bring health and revitalization to different areas and help restore and, and literal physical change, but ultimately that's not the goal. It's for the health of the people. It's for the people to know Jesus. It's for them to experience the gospel of Jesus. Even though there's great things happening outwardly, he's like, it's still not the point. There's still more there. So three thoughts really quick on chapter seven, because it's a long chapter, and I don't know how many of you are actually going to do the homework, but that'd be really cool if you did. Read all seven. Uh, here's the idea. Uh, God knows your name. God acknowledges your sacrifice. God gives us a story. I don't know if you can see those, but let's just really quick. God, in a sense, knows your name. Remember that? Name after name after name is given in chapter 7. I think God loves to remember names because this is what he does for us. He writes your name in heaven. God remembers names. This genealogy of families just reminds me of Jesus' genealogy. It's weird that Matthew, the, the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke start off in a similar way. And Abraham had Isaac. And Isaac, had, and you're like, what is this? I just started reading like, the New Testament. And maybe it's like boring to you right away. But it's ultimately saying, look at all these families are leading up to Jesus. All of these families here, the whole idea of them getting back to Jerusalem was getting back to the Davidic king, getting back to Jesus ruling and reigning. It's, these, this genealogy here is pointing us to a greater genealogy in Jesus. Do we get that? Whenever we see these names, and we go, oh, that's kind of boring. It's saying, no, 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 there's going to be another genealogy. It's going to bring us to Jesus. It's going to bring us to why, why we're here on earth, that Jesus, God, saves us from his sins. That's going to point us to a greater name. Not only that, but God acknowledges your sacrifice. In verse 70 and on, he, Nehemiah is really low-key if you read it. He's like, and the governor gave. Who's the governor? Nehemiah. Uh, but Nehemiah gives like 18 pounds of gold. All right, he gives silver. And then all the other people start getting gold and giving silver. And God's like, I remember your sacrifice. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But God, it says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. God remembers our works. God says, a cup of cold water in my name. I got you. There's a side of this where we got to remember that God sees what you and I are doing for him in his kingdom. Yes, there's a general principle of God is generous, so let us be generous. But I think there's a part of this, like, God, I want to be about this work. I want to I give. I want to sponsor kid. I want to give to the church. I want to be a part of building the kingdom in this way. Number three is God gives us a story. Can, I, can we just remember this really quick? Um, this is so real. This is a real story. Nehemiah is a real person. King Artaxerxes is a real person. You know, uh, the British Museum has in their museum a bowl with King Artaxerxes' name and time period on it. I don't know if there's a picture of the bowl. It's a bowl. But why I think that's cool, do you see a bowl? Does anyone see a bowl there? Okay. Why I think that's cool 
is this bull with Artaxerxes' name was probably carried by Nehemiah, the cupbearer. The one who brought him his cup, the one who brought him his food, the one who tasted it, his food, his drink, the one to make sure he was like, the idea was this is a real people, a real story. This is history. And this is pointing, obviously, to Jesus, the, the, the true person of Jesus, who lived and walked among us, who ate, who slept, who breathed, who died innocently. I mean, all stories in the Bible are pointing us to the story of Jesus, but we've got to remember this is a real story, this is a real thing happening. And, and here's the last thought of chapter 7, and I really want us to hear this. Last thought is this. Nehemiah's goal. Walls are built, gates are hung. We read that in chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. What's next? Fill Jerusalem with people. Nehemiah's goal, you guys, please listen. Fill Jerusalem with people. What is our goal today in the church? Fill the new Jerusalem with people. The same goal Nehemiah had is our goal. Nehemiah's like, for there to be life and hell, we need to fill Jerusalem with people. And the Bible is all about this idea that one day there'll be a new heaven, a new Jerusalem, as the Bible calls it. And our desire is to f- let's fill that new Jerusalem. Let's fill heaven. Let's fill the place where Jesus dwells. Let's, let's fill God's kingdom. That is the idea. We are part of the same goal of Nehemiah. He's like, let's, let's, let's build the walls, let's rebuild, let's restore, let's make all things new, and let's fill it with people, and that's why the church exists. We're like, let's bring restoration to all things in the name of Jesus, and let's just fill the new Jerusalem with people, amen? Let's fill heaven with people. That is the idea. Let us fill this place with people who are far from God, who don't know him. These families that came in chapter 7, by the way, this is a big sacrifice. They're going to probably, they probably got released from slavery and kind of now made the dwelling place after so many years. It's been a hundred something years since Babylon. And now here they are leaving wherever they were to go to a broken down city to bring it back to life. I mean, they made extreme sacrifice to do this. There's something very honorable in this. And our goal is this, listen, whatever it takes, let's fill the walls. Let's fill the gates. Let's fill the heavenly gates. Fill the new Jerusalem with people. Amen. That's what we want to be a part of. That's what we're trying to do. Listen, let's focus and persevere on what matters. Let's press into what matters most. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to worship a little bit, and we'll close with some uh, thoughts and announcements. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. We thank you so much, Jesus, for even the fact where you were on the Mount of Olives looking toward Jerusalem with this focus, knowing that you were going to die and take upon the sins of the world. You had this extreme focus to carry out your mission to redeem us, and we thank you. And God, just pray for the same for us, that we'd have an extreme focus to carry out the mission, to fill the new Jerusalem, to fill it with people, people who just, we need you, I need you. So Jesus, I just ask that you would just go before this church, give us favor with our bosses, with our coworkers. God, I ask that you would just empower us by your spirit to really look at our job, our work, as this matters. God, that we are part of something much, much greater than just putting rocks together or much greater than just whatever our, our job might be. But this is a great work. We thank you, God, that you invite us into this work. We just want to thank you now, praise you now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and just close out our time with some worship.